You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Youth and Young Adults Minister, Kirk McKenzie. Hello, today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Jesus raises a widow's son. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, everyone. Just a heads up, we're going to be talking about some fairly intense stuff today. Uh, Things like death, uh, compassion and the miracle of resurrection. But before we jump into that sort of intense topic, Some of you may be wondering, uh, where are we? As in, well, where am I? Like, what's the deal with, where in the building are you, Kirk? Now, I realise some of you have actually never been to our Diamond Creek building because you've joined our church since we went completely digital after the coronavirus restrictions began. But many of you have been to our building in Diamond Creek. And so you might be thinking, well, where's the filming actually happening? Because... Like, I don't recognise those plants. Where's that white sheep background come from and all this sort of stuff? So we thought we'd take you on a little tour as we do that. And I'm also going to talk about uh, the funeral that Jesus went to and connect that in with our building. So let's go for a little bit of a tour of the building and show you a little bit about what's changed as we've been filming in our Diamond Creek building. Let's go. So here we are on the stage And this is where we would normally do a talk from, uh, but instead of, uh, well, I'm usually talking to that camera over there uh, while we're digital, but of course, normally, well, normally, when there's people in the building, I'd normally be talking in this direction because that's where people would normally sit. And normally, there's a whole bunch of seats here uh, in this area, but we sort of cleared this out to make it a bit easier to film. Now, if we were in a funeral service, and today's passage uh, has Jesus sort of arriving in the middle of a funeral, there would often be a coffin at the front of the stage down there. And at the end of the funeral, people, uh, family members, friends of the person who has died, would carry that coffin uh, along here through these double doors. And the people who have come to the funeral would follow those people. We call it a funeral procession. And we'd bring, we'd all come out through the um, foyer here and head towards the main entrance. 
And when we look at the passage of, uh, the, that we're looking at today, the Bible passage today, we see that Jesus actually arrives in this village at a very similar moment to what we might be talking about right now. As the coffin leaves the church building, uh, Jesus arrives as not as the coffin leaves the building, but as the coffin is brought out of the village. And of course, it's being carried off to be buried. Now, normally we would, around about here, there'd be a vehicle here and we'd load it into the vehicle and then we all might go and get into our cars and head off towards the, to, to the burial situation. Um, and this was happening when Jesus arrived sort of mid-funeral procession uh, in his time outside this village. Now, of course, in Jesus' time, there probably wasn't a whole lot of traffic noise like we've got now. So we might head back in where the filming's a bit easier and continue the story from there. So even though we are divided by 2,000 years, we live in a very different part of the world uh, and we have a very different culture, there are a lot of similarities in the way we do funerals here in Melbourne compared with the way we, funerals were done in Jesus' time. Uh, but also a few differences. We can connect with what's going on in the funeral that we read about in today's passage. In particular, the tragedy of the situation. Because we notice, I mean, obviously, all funerals are sad occasions. There's always grief. There's always a sense of loss. But we notice that this is the funeral of a young man. And we can certainly connect with the fact that they are a sadder occasion when there's a young person who has died. There's always that sense of extra loss that there were so many years ahead of this young person that have been taken away. So we can connect uh, with the extra sense of loss that his mum and his family must have been experiencing and his friends must have been experiencing. But there's some extra things going on in Jesus' time which we may not pick up unless we know a little bit about their culture. For example, Luke, the author of this story, pays um, careful attention to the fact that he was an only son and that his mum was a widow. Now, this is significant because in that time, uh, pretty much all the jobs that, where you could earn a decent living were only available to men. Now, thankfully, we've got a different situation in our society. But back then, if you didn't have a man in the family who could work, then your situation was really tough. It was going to be hard to get food on the table. It was going to be hard to keep a roof on your, over your head. And so this woman and any other females left in her family were going to be doing it tough from now on because this young man had died. And you get the sense because there's a large crowd as part of this funeral procession that the, the village knows this is, this is a bad situation. There's a lot of sympathy uh, for this mum and her family. Also, the sense of the family name being carried on from generation to generation was a big deal in their culture. We don't have that sense as much in our culture, although some cultures around the world still hold that um, sense of honour about that today. And so uh, that name continued through the sons, particularly through the eldest son. So again, this sense of, well, there's no sons left. So our, our family name is not going to continue. This is the final generation of our family. 
and there would have been a huge sense of loss and disappointment about that as well. So this is um, a funeral, so it's a, a sad situation always, but there's extra layers of tragedy in this particular funeral that Jesus arrives in the middle of. Now, in some ways, it's a very little story. It's only a handful of verses. And yet, it's a very big story because somebody comes back to life. Somebody who's been dead for a significant amount of time is brought back to life with a fed ink miracle. And actually, if you read through the book of Luke and you sort of start from chapter 1, you'll see that Jesus has been doing a whole bunch of healing miracles. He started off healing a variety of diseases. He's worked his way up to big ones like leprosy, which is basically a fatal disease. You get leprosy, there's no coming back. Even earlier in chapter 7, the passage that Julie read last week, uh, we see that Jesus heals someone who's close to death. They're about to die. Jesus brings them to full health. And now in this passage... Someone who has already died and like not just for a moment and he sort of CPRs them back to life. No, they've been dead for long enough that their funeral has been organised and already begun. He brings them back to full health and we're getting to the point of like the miracles are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's no coincidence then that Luke, our author, for the first time uses the title of the Lord when talking about Jesus. This is the first time he's done this. The Lord, if you, when he talks about the Lord, if you refer to someone as the Lord, you're saying they're the boss. They have all authority. They are in charge. I am going to be obedient to them. And so it's no coincidence that he saved the title of the Lord up until this point. And he will use the title again later in the book as the chapters go on. But he basically waited until Jesus has shown that he has authority over life and death. And now he's referring to him as the Lord. Jesus only has to reach out and touch this young man and speak and he comes back to life, demonstrating an incredible amount of power. And of course, we read this and we go, is this true? Is this a true story? Because it is hard to believe. I mean, That's the nature of miracles, I guess, is that they are hard to believe. But of course, if it is true, then we have to be going, well, I guess, is Jesus my Lord? Does he have authority in my life, in our life, in our time? They are the questions that, of course, we would ask reading it uh, in our day now. So it's got huge implications for us. It's a little story. You could almost miss it. If you were were reading quickly through the book of Luke, you'd almost miss it, but it's a massive event. And so I've just got two things that I really want us to take note of in the story today. The first thing I want us to take note of is the compassion of Jesus. Because Christians are not always thought of as compassionate people. I was watching a TV show recently and a Christian family was introduced into the, the storyline. It was a, a drama series. And these Christians arrive and they were mean, they were nasty, they were harsh, they were judgmental, some of them were violent. They were the bad guys of this story. They were the villains. This is this a show that had quite a few pretty dodgy characters and they were the worst of the lot. And it's not the first time that this has happened. I was like, oh, come on. 
You know, there's a series of characters that I've seen, Christian characters, that are the bad guys in TV shows and in movies. We seem to get a pretty bad rap from the people who are writing these shows. And I thought, come on, this, is this realistic? I have not met any Christians who are like this. But to be fair to the writers, I guess in my worst moments, I can be mean and I, I am sometimes harsh and I can at times be judgmental. I'm not as violent as the characters were in that movie, thankfully, um, no, that TV show. Um, but yeah, there are elements of those characters that I see in myself. Uh, I hope that I'm not like them anywhere near as often as they are. I hope that I'm not like them generally. Uh, but again, I guess if we put all the Christians together uh, as a group, then we have to say we are sometimes uh, like these characters. And even though it might seem unfair that we're sometimes depicted as the bad guys, we have to admit that sometimes uh, we are like that. And that creates a bit of a challenge, doesn't it? Because if you're watching today and you're investigating Christianity, then I can't just point at myself and go, all you need to do to sort of really get a good picture of Christianity is look at me and the way I am and the way I live and the things that I say. Because even though sometimes you might get a good picture of Christianity by looking at me, sometimes I'm going to stuff up and I'm not going to be a great example for you. Thankfully, what we can do is we can point you to Jesus instead and say, well, actually, if you look at Jesus, then you're going to get, a real, you're going to get the best possible picture. And so if you have had an experience of Christians where they have been just kind of mean, harsh people, can I encourage you to look at the way Jesus is in today's passage? Because when you do that, you'll see someone who is compassionate. Compassion is the feeling or showing of sympathy and concern for others. And we see that Jesus is absolutely compassionate in this story. Have a look at verse 13 of this story. Um, when the Lord saw her, this is the mum of the young man who's died. His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Another translation says, dry up those tears. It's not that she's doing the wrong thing by crying, but he's saying, I feel for you. I get it. And watch what I'm about to do next. His heart goes out to this person. Jesus is compassionate towards people who are in pain, people who are doing it tough. And there's many other stories where Jesus shows compassion. And sure, Jesus has some stern things to say about evil and he wants, he wants us to change our ways when we're doing evil or bringing evil into the world. But when we're in pain and when we're doing it tough, he absolutely shows us compassion. And he wants everyone who follows Jesus to show compassion in the same way that he does. So that's the first thing I'd love us to note about today's story is that the compassion of Jesus. The second thing I'd love us to note is the full-on miracle that happens in this story, that someone who is dead comes back to life and that Jesus does this. Now, there are heaps of miracles, full-on miracles like this in the Bible, including multiple resurrections uh, and including the resurrection of Jesus himself. And... This is, again, a challenge for us to get our head around because, of course, miracles don't happen every day. And by their nature, they are hard to believe. If miracles did happen all the time, 
I mean, they wouldn't be miracles. They'd just be sort of everyday occurrences, normal things. Uh, so they are hard to get our head around. And we know that particularly in Australia, the average Australian, we do find them hard to believe. In fact, 20, there was a recent uh, research that said 26% of Aussies find stories about miracles repellent, as in that's a turnoff for them thinking about God or thinking about religion. When they hear a story about something supernatural, when they hear a story about a miracle, we go, what, really? And that kind of puts us off talking about it or thinking about uh, religious stuff or spiritual stuff. It's interesting, we just find out, if we find it difficult to get our heads around it or we find it difficult to even think or talk about these things. So I get it. If you're watching right now and you're like, oh, this story, you know, like full on, this is, this is a bit much. Uh, we get it. It's a challenge for us, particularly here in Australia. So what I want to do is show you a clip from an interview with a guy called Francis Chan. Now, he's a Chinese-American Christian leader. And if you were to Google Francis Chan, you'd find a bunch of talks he's done, a bunch of preaching, Christian leadership talks, this sort of thing. He's reasonably famous, I guess, in Christian circles. And you'd find out that he's known Jesus since he was young, became a Christian when he was pretty young. Uh, he knows the Bible really well, and he's very passionate. Like, he's one of those guys, when you hear him speak, you know, me as a follower of Jesus, I go, gee, am I kind of lazy and lethargic as a Christian? Because this guy is fired up, you know? Like, he's a very passionate sort of guy. He's really into Jesus. And yet, despite the passion that he's got and the, the fired-up nature of his faith, and despite the fact he'd been following Jesus for decade, decades, right into his middle age, he hadn't experienced any miracles. He hadn't seen any of the supernatural stuff that we see in the Bible. And then that changed. And in this interview, he tells us a bit about it. So let's have a look. There was probably, there were two different gatherings. 
and the village, I would guess there were like 200 people okay. in this upper room of the elders, you know, uh, you know, um, gathering hall. I guess it's kind of his house too, but they're just cramming in. And it, it's, uh, I mean, there were people just saying, I have this crazy pain in my back, you know, I'd lay hands and it would be gone on oh, my knee. I haven't been able to stand up. Uh, you know, boom, it's gone. I mean, I've prayed these prayers many times and nothing happens. Um, the most dramatic for me, I mean, there was another deaf girl that a couple of our friends prayed for, um, her and her brother, you know, deaf from birth, you know, that could hear now. And, but the most dramatic was this lady that came up, just her eye was swollen and so much pain in her head. She said, she hardly think. And it's all through a translator. So I prayed and she says, yes, the pain's completely gone. And she goes, but can you take away the swelling? And I'm like, I'll give it a shot. you know. <laughs> and I pray and it like went down like halfway. And my translator looks at me and goes, does it look like it's halfway? I go, I think so. I go, let's keep praying. And so I did it again. And he looks at her and he goes, I don't know if you see what I see, but I don't see any swelling anymore. I go, I don't either. This, like this is, uh, it's just so fun. I just thought, I want to live this every night of my life. I, I want to see God work like this. Yeah. Um, and that night there were probably 2,000 people at that gathering. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what was the impact you think on that on that village? I mean, did the in terms of faith and Jesus. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there are people now that are being discipled. Um, the, the the lady that got us in there, she got there through just helping them dig wells, and you know, she bought some land from this or that. That's why they allowed this message to even come in. So she's still working with them. People are being discipled. So the story of what happened to Francis and his team in Myanmar reminds me a lot of the story of this village that we see in today's passage. Jesus did something miraculous and then things started to change. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. They said, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. But here's the thing. If you're like me, you'd like some sort of formula on how all these miracle things work. You know, how can I make... I'd love to see some miracles, of course. That would be really encouraging. That would really help me to believe. Um, so how, how do I get myself in a situation where I can be experiencing as much miracles as possible. And how does all this work? You know, why did that the miracle happen at that funeral, but not at my brother's funeral or at my mate's funeral? You know, what type of people do I need to be with uh, uh, to experience the most funerals? What type of church meetings do we need to organise the most of? What sort of prayer should I be praying the most of? Is there certain music that we should be having on to experience those sort of miracles the most? Uh, you know, atmosphere, is that important? Location, should I be travelling to certain places in the world to experience more miracles? 
could there be some sort of formula that we could put together so that I could maximize the opportunity that I have to experience miracles in my life? If I had one, I'd tell you what it is. Uh, but, but I don't. I don't. I've thought about it a lot. I've, I've investigated a lot. I've done heaps of Bible writing about it. And yeah, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have one. Sorry, guys. Um, here's all I can tell you. Just speaking honestly from my own personal experience, I have experienced miracles in my own life. Uh, and immediately around me, it's in happening to the people around me while I'm there. Not at, not a, not at a resurrection level, I'll admit, uh, but certainly healings uh, that I, I absolutely believe are miraculous that God did. Uh, we believe that we have experienced Jesus doing miracles in our church, just locally in Diamond Creek. Uh, absolutely, we believe God's done some miracles in recent times, not sort of like 150 years ago when the church began, but this year, last year. And I've heard too many stories from people I believe that I trust are telling the truth, like Francis, uh, like others, people I've met, not just people on the internet, like that, that I, I, I believe in miracles. I do. I believe God does miracles today. I don't have a formula to exactly how it works uh, and what we should expect and when we should expect it, but I do believe that God is doing miraculous things today. And so at the very least, I think we should, I think it's okay and that it's good to ask God to do miracles in our life and in our church today. I think it's a good thing to do, and that's how I really want to finish, is to ask God to do it. And all I would say is one little clarification there, is that we should do it with humility and with patience. Because it's not like we deserve God to do miracles in our life. Although we should put a time limit on it. It's like, come on, God, we've been following you for how many years now? We deserve a few miracles by now. I don't think that's really the attitude. It's more that God's done enough for us already <laughs> through Jesus. What Jesus has achieved is enough already. But because he's good and gracious and kind and loving, he wants to keep giving. He is generous. And he does keep giving. And it's okay to ask him to do that. And so that's what I want to do right now is to just lead us in a prayer, a simple prayer. As Francis Chan said, he didn't really do much except say, God, God, we need your help. And then he started praying for people. Uh, so that's what I'm really going to do is just uh, seek God's help and then pray for you wherever you are, sitting in your lounge room, uh, in your study, uh, watching on your phone out and about, whatever the case. I'm just going to pray that God would do something miraculous in your life, in our lives, right now. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we put our trust in you because you are good. You've demonstrated that so many times. You demonstrated that you have compassion for your people so many times. And we've got many of those stories written down like the one we have today. You showed compassion for that family at that funeral. 
please show compassion to those who are hurting and in pain right now. Please do something special, something powerful, something supernatural in our lives, especially for those who need it the most. We know that you're good. We know that you forgive us when we've done the wrong thing. You've demonstrated that through your sacrificial death on the cross. You've demonstrated that through your own resurrection. You have power over life and death. You have full authority. You can do what you want. We do not have the power to change all our own circumstances, Lord. We need you. And I just, I don't know your individual circumstances as you're watching today, and I don't know what's been going on for you this week. I'm just going to leave a space and encourage you to bring your deepest needs to Jesus right now. Maybe you want to hold your hands out open as a sign of ready to being ready to receive not what you want, but what you need from God right now. Bring your deepest needs, your deepest hurts. And Lord, as people open themselves up to you and present to you the deepest parts of their soul, please reward them with your power, your grace and your love. Do something miraculous today in our lives, we ask. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.